Angeles. Please welcome Sparks. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. Merci. Nous sommes très fiers de d'avoir rencontré Marc Moulin en 1979 ici à Bruxelles quand Marc a fait la première interview avec Sparks ici en Bruxelles. Uh, for, forgive me, Marc, first of all, for reading a personal uh, letter. I hope you'll understand, but it's that sort of evening. Here is a copy of our last and new single. It was out yesterday. This is the end of a long story and hopefully the beginning of another. We've been trying to recreate the naive atmosphere of Spectre's first group, such as the teddy bears. I'm a bit ashamed with the lyrics. But in this use, we didn't feel the lyrics were such an important matter because of the naive intention. If I become too intellectual, stop me. It's the kind of moral garbage you find in the sentimental nursery rhymes. The whole thing might look a bit pompous or pretentious, but I can explain everything. Don't listen to the music while you drive. You might fall asleep, which is dangerous. Mark, there is nothing that Mark ever did or said that even remotely could put anybody to sleep. I promise you that. And finally, just let me say one thing. Since 1979, my best friend has been a Belgian. It's so weird. Sparsketeers, it's your friendly podcast host, Christian Huey, again. This is episode 28 of All You Ever Think About is Sparks, the only and therefore best podcast devoted to the music of Ron and Russell Mail, a.k.a. Sparks. Before we dive right into today's episode, Russell Mail has confirmed that Sparks has completed yet another album. Squeal, squeal, squeal! But I would not expect much more information to come trickling out for a while, um, as you probably know the boys are notoriously guarded about things like this but would i find anything out but would i find anything else out i'll let you know another short intro for today's episode monty mallon joins me once more for an in-depth look at that one album sparks fans either love to hate or hate to love yes it's terminal jive from 1980 but despite the threats contained in the album's title i could assure you that the jive will not end your life and in fact, the 7.5 songs on the LP can make for a delightful listen when you're in the right mood. This episode is short on the history lesson, this album coming out hot on the heels of 1979's Number One in Heaven, and there were no promotional tours. But we'll let you know what we found and what we think about the album. Thanks for listening. You can email me, Christian, at podcastsparks at gmail.com. Check out the website at sparkspodcast.podbeam.com. And I urge all of you to check out Monty's podcast called So Important. And now, 
a dance, goddammit. Drama, drama, drama by Telex. Lyrics by Ron Mail. November 20th, 2013, a disparate coterie of friends, family, and fellow musicians gathered in Brussels, Belgium to pay their respects to one of Belgium's most celebrated musical visionaries, Marc Moulin. Although relatively little acknowledged outside of Europe, Moulin boasted a career that spanned over 40 years, starting as a jazz piano prodigy in the early 60s, making a radical shift to electronic dance music in the late 70s, through to the 80s, and re-emerging at the turn of the millennium with an innovative style that blended both genres. Moulin was just a few short years into this third phase of his career when he was sadly diagnosed with throat cancer and succumbed to the illness on September 26, 2008. Moulin's passing at age 66 was particularly devastating for Ron and Russell Mayle, particularly, particularly to the former, who tearfully declared on stage that evening in 2013 that, quote, since 1979, my best friend has been a Belgian. One wonders if Russell felt like chopped liver in that moment. Doing a cross-search of Moulin's and Sparks's separate discographies, there are only a handful of overlapping titles to unearth. What's there, however, was impactful for the career trajectories of both entities, particularly at that magical inflection point where both Moulin and the Mail Brothers found an epiphany in synthesizers and dance music at almost the same moment. After releasing a handful of jazz rock albums, both as a solo artist and as a member of the band Placebo, not to be confused with the UK second wave post-punk act from about two decades later, Moulin had begun to feel aesthetically constrained. In 1978, he teamed up with fellow Belgian synth maestro and engineer Dan Laxman with the goal to, in Laxman's words, make something not serious or as Moulin later described, with greater clarity of purpose, something really European, different from rock, different, uh, something really European, different from rock, uh, without guitar, and the idea was electronic music. Sound familiar? Laxman and Moulin recruited vocalist Michel Moores as their frontman and christened their group Telex, named after an embryonic version of what would later be known as the fax machine. The name was sleek and futuristic sounding, 
It was also easy for francophones and anglophones alike to pronounce, which they hoped would help them crack the English-speaking market. From the outset, Telex embraced camp, kitsch, and early rock nostalgia. Using only Laxman's Moog Modular and a Syndrome, they experimented with offbeat cover versions of well-known songs such as Rock Around the Clock, Dance to the Music by Sly and the Family Stone, as well as a handful of French-language pop songs that would be easily identifiable by casual listeners in France or Belgium. They scored a worldwide hit in June of 1979 with Moscow Disco, Sounding a bit like Kraftwerk's Trans-Europe Express after snorting a rail or two, Moscow Disco was a lyrically simplistic song sketching out a post-Cold War scene of disco revelers traveling by an imaginary train from Moscow to Tokyo and undulating beneath the mechanical grooves of this new futuristic style of music. Singer Michel Moores, with his flat affect and Gallic air of detachment, does a fine job of channeling a French version of Kraftwerk's Ralph Hutter. Telex's manager encouraged the band to compete in 1980's Eurovision Song Contest, which they did so obligingly, but with lyrics so banal and self-referential, it had to be some kind of troll. Fittingly, the song that they contributed and performed was titled... Eurovision. On television, the band contrived a performance so devoid of energy or charisma that they hoped to place dead last. Surprisingly, they placed 17 out of 19. For Telex's third album, they felt the pressure to release an English-language record while retaining their all-electronic aesthetic. Although details are hazy at this juncture, at least according to my sources, while Sparks spent the majority of 1980 promoting Terminal Jive in France, they happened upon an 18-year-old Chanteuse who recorded under the name Leo. Leo's first album, released the year before, had spawned three singles that were massively popular in France. The people managing her career at the time were the members of Telex. Surprise, surprise. Now, several of my sources seem to indicate that this chance encounter with Leo led to Sparks' introduction to Telex, but after some digging around the darker corners of the internet, I stumbled upon a page um, on Sparks fan blog jp.blog.fc2.com. Yes, as the JP would indicate, this site is mostly in Japanese. Anyway, auspiciously for us, I found this quote from Russell Mail. We met Mark Moulin from Telex when he was a radio DJ for the French-speaking Belgian radio network in Brussels while interviewing us around the time of Beat the Clock. We've since remained very great friends with Mark and share couscous royale and lyrics with him whenever we are in the Brussels region. That, of course, would put things around the spring or summer of 1979, which explains Ron Mayo listing that year in the beginning of their friendship in his uh, speech. At any rate, Telex felt Sparks would be perfect to help them Americanize their next project, as well as Leo's. Although work wouldn't begin for many months with Sparks' input, the more immediate outcomes of Sparks and Telex crossing paths in 1979 and again in 1980 were the following. A. You had Sparks writing all the English language lyrics for Telex's 1981 album Sex. 
aka the birds and the bees for the pearl-clutching British audiences. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't release it that way in the U.S. <clears throat> B sparks either translating or loosely interpreting into English an album's worth of songs for Leo for her 1982 collection Sweet 16 and C. Telex member Dan Laxman flying Sparks to Belgium in 1982, where he engineered, or at least helped engineer, the Sparks in Outer Space LP in the Telex studios. The longer-lasting outcome of Telex meeting Sparks was a lifelong friendship between the two parties, particularly, again, between Ron and Mark Mulan. Telex's album Sex is often cited as their greatest achievement and their most accessible listen, particularly for non-Francophone fans. Because of the clear Sparks Telex pedigree of that album, I would really like to delve into those songs fully sometime in the future, followed by a nod to the uh, songs on that Leo release. But if I'm being totally honest, I'm not sure if that will happen to the extent that I've scrutinized all the Sparks albums proper up to this point, but I will try to go back in here before I publish this and see if I can't at least shine a torch on a, a track or two that stand out on that Telex album. It's a shame that Mark Mulan and Sparks rarely cross paths again, at least creatively speaking, after 1983. There was... 2001, when Mulan made a comeback album of sorts, and he released a beat-heavy jazz number called What? that featured a repeated clip of Ron Mayle asking, What the hell is going on? That's really it. I get the impression Ron and Mark Mulan sensed kindred spirits in one another. It makes sense. In some ways, Mulan was a less flamboyantly styled Ron Mayle. Both men were singularly talented keyboard players, Although with Mulan favoring jazz and Ron favoring classical playing styles, both were creatively restless individuals who felt pushed to reinvent the kinds of music that they made over the years. Both had similar lyrical concerns, uh, mixing the sacred freely with the profane, and both felt the intense allure of fame while simultaneously harboring deep suspicions about it. Rest in peace, Mark. I was going to say that in French, too, by the way, but the result was too embarrassing. So, de rien. And now, on to the rest of the show. Sigmund Freud's Party by Telex. Lyrics by Ron May.
Hey, Monty. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's so great to talk to you again. As always, as always. Okay, so tonight we're going to be discussing uh, the album Terminal Jive, and please do not hit skip on your players, <laughs> people. Please don't. Uh, don't don't hit forward or stop or anything like that. I think we have a lot of interesting things to say. It's it's an you know it's an important part of uh, Sparks's. Um, Ovier and uh, and how they progressed, you know, from uh, one era to the next. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that today. Um, first off, I guess, you know, uh, did you have any general thoughts that that you wanted to start off with before I get into the the recording of this album? I will just note that I am going to try to be constructive about this album. I said at the end of our last talk or two talks ago that it wasn't one of my favorites. I can't claim it's one of my favorites, but I've listened to it and I'm ready to engage. All right. Be, fantastic. Be positive and constructive as much as I can. Engage. Okay, great. Uh, well, you're not alone. Um, uh, Ron and Russ themselves are, are not uh, terribly... Uh, happy about uh this album and, and they they made that known uh, not long after the uh recording and the release of the album so i just wanted to get into um a little bit of the uh the backstory here so of course uh, number one in heaven came out in i believe it was march of 1979 and they're promoting it uh, as much as they could uh island records in the uk sought to capitalize on what they saw as uh, uh, Sparks' um, uh, whatever you want to call it, rebirth, uh, you know, uh, renewed interest. And they uh, released in the UK the best of Sparks. And I found out that they contacted Dinky, Dinky, Dinky Diamond, that great drummer from those Island Era records in the mid-70s for, you know, what to include in the, in the uh, track listing. And uh, they were all singles, except he thought it would be a good idea to also include um, a couple of uh, rarities. Anyway, point is, didn't sell. Didn't sell for shit. Uh, and um, and that's when Ron and Russ started to think that in the UK, they were, that as Sparks was, uh, they had a hit to their reputation in some ways in that the old rock fans weren't uh, buying into their stuff and the new disco dance fans simply didn't buy LPs. So this, uh, so that record didn't really sell very well, but regardless, uh, hot on the heels of uh, number one in heaven, they recorded this new album in the summer of 1979 and they did that in Los Angeles at Westlake Studios. Uh, nominally, the producer was George Maroder, although, as most of us know, uh, he wasn't really that much involved. It was actually Harold Faltermeyer. Uh, and as, you know, uh, certainly people of my age know, he's probably most famous for that um, Axel F. A single from the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack, and then I believe he did Top Gun and some other stuff. But they uh, got together. The engineers for the album were Brian Reeves, Dennis Drake. Uh, there was uh, W. Snuffy Walden, who played guitar. 
And this was just a couple of months, if that, after Russell declared that there would be no more guitars on Sparks albums. Snuffy Walden uh, ended up doing great things. He did all the music, or most of the music, for the show 30-something that I remember from uh, my childhood and then later on Friday Night Lights. Uh, the photography was uh, some interesting stuff. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, the rest of the band, uh, I see there's a Richie Zito who was on bass guitar. Although when you listen to the album, it's really does sound like most of the bass was not done with a bass, but was done with synth. Just two singles released when I'm with you in a couple of different variations and young girls. So where to start out with this? I'm 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 going to hand it over to you. All right. Well, you know, like I said, I've been giving it as fair a listen as I can a few times in the last couple of weeks cuz I think it isn't like you said, it is a Sparks album and it's a it's it's important as a marker, I think, in their overall road and journey as opposed to its importance itself. And the album isn't I guess where I, what I would say is this. If you recall when we were talking about number one in heaven, I made the point that what I heard was that it was basically a Sparks album where they took the format, the disco and dance format, and kind of fashioned it to their own, to their own vision. Yeah. And I think uh, Giorgio understood that was the value of the album. And he, he, he went along with that and he did everything he could to bring his uh, production capabilities and tools to producing a great Sparks album. It was a Sparks album using the tools of disco and dance. When I listened to this one, I kind of feel that the opposite had happened. I feel that the format overcame the artist. And so you had these songs that were pretty much in a pretty straight dance format, and you had Ron and Russell playing along to them, and Ron would say, not even to that great a degree. Uh, and it created some interesting songs because they're talented people. And Harold Faldemeyer has a long history. He knows how to produce songs that are catchy. It's very catchy, but ultimately in my humble opinion, the format overwhelmed the artists to too great a degree. So you just, there's too much of what should be sparks submerged when you hear the songs, the lyrics aren't as good, aren't as, aren't as sharp, let's say is what you heard on number one in heaven uh, on number one in heaven. You know, I don't want to get into the discussion of side A, side B. I think we've talked that to death. But what someone on the internet pointed out is that, you know, it's really the story of the life cycle, starting with birth and ending with death. And I thought about that. I thought that's really true. It really does. And I thought about all the songs. I came up with all these theories. Yeah, I don't know if they're right or not. But, you know, I thought, yeah, that's that was a statement album, you know? Yeah. I'm this so glad one, you said one, statement. Just to finish the thought, this one does not have that kind of statement feel. It's the music. It's oh, the music is overwhelming the artists, and it's just. And we'll talk about this in a minute. I think it's a transitional album at the end of the day. There you go. That's it. I, I was going to say the same thing that uh, there was a uh, statement of purpose with number one in heaven, and there doesn't seem to be one with with this album. There, the, 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 there is a. 
there is a, as you said, I mean, depending on how you arrange the track sequence, there's at least an overarching um, theme that you get from number one that you don't get here. It's kind of like, why does this yeah. exist? Uh, go on. Yeah, I'm, they're 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 not they're catchy songs. And when, as I said, I was listening to them while I was walking a couple times, and I found myself singing along. Noisy boys are happy. It's like you I can't like help singing one. along. But then what? What are you left with? Well, there you, you go. Know? Yeah, uh, totally agree. Uh, you know, this is not uh, an unusual opinion, I'm sure, but like I think this probably could have been a really good EP down to four or five tracks. There I would agree with that. A handful of songs that I think are really good and some of the best. Um, when I'm with you, one of the best, and we're going to get into that. Uh, young girls, as obviously under the skin creepy as it is, <laughs> uh, is, is, is a very, very good song and uh, a good single. Noisy Boys is a great one, even if it's not terribly deep. Uh, I think uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, final song on the album, uh, Greatest Show on Earth, I think all of those things are well-produced. They sound good. They're well-composed, and I think they would have done well in just an EP. And I think it's very telling that, you know, they felt like they were so short of ideas that they had to do an instrumental version of when I'm with you, their, their big single at the end of scene. I just don't get, I think that's exactly right, Christian. I think they were out of ideas when this came around. And, you know, one thing that the easily book pointed out is that yet again, all their ideas, you know, there's some things in there I'm not sure about if they're true. I have to be honest with you, but taking it for his word, uh, he does say that like with number one in heaven, Mm -hmm. a lot of original songs that they came in with were rejected. Mm-hmm. And only when I'm with you made it to the album and the rest were yeah. all kind of created at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What I've got is, um, and I think this may be from the easily book or maybe the other book. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, the, Ron's words, uh, Harold could play better than me or Giorgio. This is him kind of commenting on the fact that Ron didn't play much on the album. But the songs were more heavily screened. We submitted 20 songs and only one passed muster. And even then, the middle eight was changed. I was hurt. I think that says a lot about this album. It's a mystery album. Because I remember when it came out, it wasn't released in the United States. And I remember I had to like go to these record stores and order it and all this. And it was like it just came... And then, then you know, the hype came for the next one, and yeah. we, you know, and the the newsletter was great at keeping you informed of what was going on with them. You sometimes had to read between the lines a bit, but it, there was always good information in those newsletters. And you know, this one just kind of came and went, and then no it was fanfare. gone. Yeah. yeah, no fanfare. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, when I'm with you, just because you love me, young girls and rock and roll people. Uh, those songs were written by Ron and Russell. Maybe just Ron, who knows? But they're credited to Ron and Russell. Correct. And uh, those, the latter three, uh, one, two, three, thank you. Yeah. Were written um, after Giorgio and Harold Faltemeyer had said, no, screw you to the, you know, 20 or so songs that they, uh, you know, had uh, brought to the table. And then the the other songs 
we had Faltermeyer, Forzi, and Giorgio having some sort of um, role in. Uh, and those would be, what, Noisy Boys, Stereo, Greatest Show on Earth. So, you know, there you go. It was not a, not, not a pure uh, a male brother's uh, experience. Definitely shows. We know that much. Uh, go on. Well, it just you, you, it begs the question: um, if they were that uninterested in letting why? Ron and Russell do their thing, why, why did bother? they produce? Why did they produce the album? Right, great I mean, question. They were both highly successful. They didn't need to, you know, hitch their wagons to Ron and Russell Mail. Yeah. Um, and the thing what is, was the, what's the point of it? Number one in heaven didn't even sell that well. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm curious. You know, why did Giorgio? Uh, maybe it was a contractual obligation thing. Maybe Giorgio just disliked these guys. But uh, yeah, I mean, if if you're if you're chasing the market and just you know chasing the dollars from record buyers or whatever, and that's it, then 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 why bother? Yeah, but and, I think what you just said is is another. There's another way to look at it. The first mm-hmm. one was highly successful from a critical perspective. Critically, yes. Critically acclaimed. Did have a couple singles on it, but the album itself, as you pointed out a couple episodes ago, didn't sell that well. So if they're looking at it from a market perspective and they have this contract that they're kind of saddled with, then they said, okay, well, let's make one that'll sell well. We don't care about your songs about sperm and all that other stuff, you know? And, right. And, and, you know, duality of personality and trying to find out who you are and, you know, all these fancy concepts that are all over the place. We don't care about any of that. Yeah. Let's just produce an album that's going to sell well if you want to hang out with us. Which did so, which did the opposite. Yeah. It, it didn't sell well. It, 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 it did none of that. It, all it did was it, it neutered the best aspects of what Ron Russell can, could do and likewise for Giorgio and Harold. Harold Faltemeyer, if you then that gets back again to that question of why. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you could, if you could pick any artist out of the street and come up with an album similar to this, maybe not as good. I don't know, but yeah. you know, why, why bother? I have some contemporaneous reviews here. Uh, let's see, from Dutch magazine Ur. Quote, misses any adventure and has the vitality of a dishcloth. How, how is it possible that a mind as creative as Ron Mayle could have made such an exasperatingly annoying, devoid of every ounce of inventiveness, god-awful fucking record? Answer, what record? We consider Terminal Drive as non-existing. Wow. But did they like it? Uh, but did they like it? That was uh, courtesy of Root's word. I appreciate that. Uh, Root, from oh, that's his, pretty uh, scathing. Uh, well, he didn't write that. I should say that was uh, right. that was from his right. um, album's uh, project. Uh, that's pretty scathing. I've got I've got three more I want to read real quick. Okay, we've uh, there was um, Rock Yearbook. There was a publication called the Rock Yearbook that went for a while. Uh, Nineteen eighty one cartoon pop with the tap your feet. Cartoon pop with the tap your feet dance beat. Even if it goes one ear and out the other, you can't fail to enjoy it. Eh, well, you know, so that's kind of nice. I think that's kind of what we're, we've been saying to I some think degree. So. Yeah. Betty Page, not the Betty Page, but uh, a woman named Betty Page in Sounds Magazine 
Four good tracks doth not a good album make. And I wonder if they're the same four tracks that I think are good. Maybe so. Finally, Melody Maker raved about it in early 1980 from uh, Harry Doherty. The three tracks that open side two, Young Girls, Noisy Boys, and Stereo, are persuasive arguments in favor of this being their best ever album. I'd say that's an outlier. That was written by somebody who was not a Sparks fan and thought all the other stuff they did was crap. Now they made a song he could dance to and he could sing along to. Perhaps so, perhaps so, (laughs) perhaps so. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Uh, Let's see. There are a couple of interesting things um, about this album. That's sounds like faint praise. Uh, the, the, the photography sessions were, were pretty interesting. I don't know if you know a whole lot about that. A little but, bit. Yeah. Uh, so I know the, they traipsed around London doing funny things. Totally. Yeah, exactly. In like yeah. a real money Python, Benny Hillish way, even they were just kind of running around and getting chased out of places. Uh, so the, uh, the photos for, for the photo for the cover and the back cover were done by Jared Mankiewicz. He was the same guy who did the back cover of indiscreet, uh, by the way, uh, he met up with the males in the summer of 1979 and they did uh, a photo session in a little studio there. Um, some of those photos have, uh, been reused for many things. I think one of them, one of them may have been the one with the gorilla suit. I'm not sure, but anyway, uh, but speaking of Gorilla, for the actual sleeve, uh, Mankiewicz and the art director, whose name was Pierce Marchbank, or Marchbank, decided they were going to do a, quote, uh, Gorilla uh, photography. And that's when they went in West London, you know, around um, the uh, the tubes stations and everything and just kind of ran around and, and took some pictures. And that, you know, that sounded like it was kind of fun. So what they were trying to do there was um, take some photos that were in the style of crime scene photography, a la a particular photographer by the name of Arthur Felig, who took a, a bunch of crime scene and street scene photography in New York in the 1960s. So interesting there. And um, I, this is, of course, this podcast isn't is an, uh, uh, an audio uh, medium, so I can't show you those photos. But there are a lot of pretty interesting, fun-looking pics that came out of those sessions, for what it's worth. But is it so great? I mean, you know, okay, <laughs> it's a funny picture, but... I don't know. It's, was it really so great a concept? I don't know. I, do, you, do you think maybe it was just laziness? I kind of think it was just a little laziness. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was like, ha ha, there's Ron lying on the ground and somebody pointing at him. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. What's this album about? <laughs> okay, we're getting to the big questions. Gotcha. <laughs> What's this album about? Hang on. Well, well, we're we're gonna get. Well, I, I say we're gonna get to that. I can't tell you we're gonna have that question answered, <laughs> but we're gonna get to that. L- let me let me go through the the details if, if you don't mind. Uh, so let's see here. Um, just a couple of interesting tidbits here. That uh, that cover that you see on there, where I believe you've got what is it? Uh, you've got Ron covering up his ears, or is it? Yep. Yeah, and then Russell's 
I guess, in the department store behind him, under covered glass, doing something. Don't know. Um, uh, do, 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 do. Oh, but they there was allegedly a different idea that they had. Uh, the first purported uh, name for the album was Tokyo Bombed. All right. Now, this is coming from Rootswort. Uh, let's see. And, and I saw the photo and there's like, there's an, there's an Asian man, presumably Japanese man. Uh, and, and he's on the phone, he's smiling or whatever. And, uh, and, and that's what they wanted to call it. Now, Sparks management disputed that that was actually the, the plan for the cover and for the, the name. However, uh, again, according to Rude, someone from Virgin Records did pass off a cassette of the uh, finalized uh, album and that photo to a British collector in 1979 and said, Hey, this is the idea. This is the title. And that's the, uh, anyway, just a little bit of trivia there, I suppose. Yeah. The album doesn't live up to that concept though. If, if that, that was the title and no, I'm not, I'm not seriously. If that was no, the title no. and yeah. what they had in mind, then you would expect a very different album. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, you'd expect it to be a lot heavier, more political, funnier, something darker. Yeah, yeah. and you got none of that. So, good point there. Uh, Mankiewicz uh, said, uh, "That's the photographer. We got thrown out of everywhere. By the time they cotton on to us, I'd take out a couple of rolls of film. They'd establish we they we didn't have any permits, but but uh, we were gone anyway. So I find the, the photo sessions enjoyable to look at, uh, whether or not it's you know sure. important or whatever, but." So, um, so that was that. And now the actual album, uh, itself, uh, of course, didn't do a whole lot except of course, for the big single when I'm with you, do you want to take a second, second to talk about when I'm with you? Uh, or do you go for it? Uh, no, I we can, we can wait to whatever. You know, I can hold off until we talk about the album songs, but you know, I think there's still more to say about the album itself. Please, so please. Why please. don't you go ahead? Okay. I don't want to interrupt uh, your notes. Yeah, of course. Okay. So uh, when I'm with you, of course, that was the that was the one song that Ron and Russell presented to Giorgio and Harold Faltermeyer that that, that passed muster, da, 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 and so they recorded that. Um, they. Uh, so this is what's a bit interesting because a couple of sources tell me that this single shot to number one in France and it stayed there for over six weeks and it sold 750,000 copies, which if you figure that if France had a population of 55 million people in 1980, that's like over one person out of every hundred had a copy of the single. Well, that's like one in 60, I think, or something like that. Uh, well, okay. So I, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's it would be a lot of people buying the album. Yeah, <laughs> it would be a lot of people buying the singles. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, but but Rude Sword on his albums project said it. Uh, no, was it him? Can't remember. But anyway, that maybe it wasn't quite that successful. But it was very successful. It was a huge hit, and that's why they ended up spending the majority of 1980 in France because they had offers uh, from all of these uh, TV programs and radio stations to uh, to 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 make appearances there. So that was a pretty important thing for them. And uh, I still have not seen this disputed that when I'm with you is the 
best-selling single of Sparks' career ever. I've heard that also. I've seen that said also. Uh, I I don't know how it compared to this town. Not went to number two. It was a big hit. Um, but I have heard that said. It's it's just a little hard. I'm not 100% sure, though, because uh, When Do I Get to Sing My Way also had phenomenal success in Germany. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they always seem to have a way of getting on the charts. And uh, that would be Somewhere in Europe. Yeah, somewhere in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or with cool places. They did. They made a dent. That's um, true. <laughs> but uh, that's interesting to hear that it was their best-selling single of all their singles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to hand it over to you. Uh, was there something you because I mean we've got a lot to talk about. If there was anything you wanted to say in general about the album before we get into the individual songs. Well, the other thought I had was that I think of it as a transitional album, and I kind of said that at the beginning. And what I mean by that is that it has elements of number one in heaven, mm-hmm. right? But it sure. also has elements of those kind of shorter, punchier songs that you start to see on, uh, on, 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 uh, want that sucker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like they're, they're trying to figure out what they want to do and they were, well, so I guess they felt maybe they weren't in a position to really assert themselves with, uh, Giorgio and Harold. Right. Um, and so it came out, it is what it is, but I think it's just kind of caught in another world between other albums that proved very successful and were able to capture people's imaginations in a way that this one, I just don't think it really did. I would love to hear the songs that were rejected in some form. That would be interesting. Wouldn't it? I'm sure they've got to be out there somewhere. I, you know, maybe they recorded some little, you know, acoustic demos or something like that. I mean, they, they must have shown something to uh you know Giorgio and uh, and Harold Faltmeyer. But I mean well, that's, you said they came in with twenty songs. That is what I've one read. One of them cut the mustard. That is what I read. Exactly. That's, that tells you something. It does, I can't right? believe that Ron Mail wrote nineteen horrible songs and one that was good. So uh according to oh gosh, I forget what it is now. But uh uh Giorgio thought that uh Ron could be a little too, imagine this, weird in his songwriting. And he didn't think that many of those songs would uh, would catch on and, and sell well. So he, he struck uh, all of them except for one from that. It goes, it goes right back to the question we asked at the beginning. If that's the approach you're going to take, why bother? Indeed. Why do it with Ron exactly. and Russell Mail? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Don, you know, go, go get Donna Summer again or something. You know, yeah. I mean, if you're just trying to sell records... You know, and you've got this uh, band who's known for having a quirky personality and quirky songwriting and quirky, you know, whatever, then why bother? Anyway, yeah, no, I'm with I you. I guess one other general comment I would make is that, um, you know, I, you know, I think sometimes the, uh, the contribution of Russell to the overall picture is not underappreciated, but maybe underestimated a little bit. And people say yeah. Ron's the genius and Russell even wears the t-shirt that says my brother is a genius, but I'm not and all that yeah. or whatever it says, something like that. Um, but, you know, Russell to me carries this album and it's not that there's this spectacular Russell that you hear on, that I hear on number one in heaven where I think he was just 
pounding that thing through on every single song. But his singing is nice throughout this whole album. And uh, I think that he becomes the focal point more than the songs themselves. And in, in just if you listen to it in a certain way, you really mm-hmm. hear just how nicely Russell is carrying this album. And, I, I, you know, this just a little footnote. Maybe it's invalid, but that's just how I hear it. I hear Russell once again stepping up and really being uh, the force of sparks in a lot of ways, right up there with Ron. I like that. And also... Uh- you know, at, at least I, I don't really know since the songs are are all credited to some degree to Ron and Russell, what hand he might have had, you know, in the songwriting. Yeah. You know, I mean, he has written songs before that they perform. So, you know, I, I, I don't know about that either. But, I you know, but yeah, yeah. I appreciate hearing that. Yeah. It's a thought. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, so... I guess if we're gonna really, you know, get into it, okay. Let's let's start with the single. The single was released first. It was released in uh, 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 January of 1980, which was just a couple of months after the final single was released from Number One in Heaven, which uh, was um, Trials for the Human Race. Just a couple months after that, and uh, of course, did gangbusters in in France or whatever. Uh, how about that video? It's a good video. Think so too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good video. It's clever. It plays on their personalities a little bit. You know, um it's it's uh it's not a bad one. What are your thoughts? Well, they're they're selling pretty hard the uh Ron as uh puppeteer and uh, and Russell as uh as the puppet, which I which I realized by then was, you know, more or less a joke. You know, even if there was a, a grain of truth to it, um, I think it was wonderful. Uh, there, I, I appreciated just all of these. It reminded me a lot of Beat the Clock in a lot of ways. You've got all these, there are all these mannequins that that uh, you know that Russell's dancing with, and there's one, and she's the you know real woman, and and uh, and whatever. I, don't I think know. it's okay. It's okay, you know, when he he comes alive and he dances with the mannequins and all that. It's yeah. it's okay. It's it's a good video. Well, I think if any if anyone didn't know Sparks before, and that was one of the 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 first um, videos that they saw, it might help them understand the dynamic, or at least the dynamic as sort of popularly understood. Sure, you know. Yeah. Anyway. I think it was that was done by um, Brian Grant. He did a bunch more videos, as it turns out. I'm trying to get in touch with him to do a, an interview with us. We'll see about that. Uh, oh, oh, oh! Well, he did beat the clock as well. So there you have it. Uh, you know, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, parenthetically, that uh, this was sort of the first of the traditions that you see of. Sparks videos where you've got Russell paired with some sexy woman and then one <laughs> kind of true. doing his thing, you know, yeah. cool places with all my might singing in the shower when I kiss you or whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah that's, that's a great point. <laughs> that's a great yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're playing up his image a little bit. Yeah. 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 I suppose so. Yeah. So within six months, uh, Sparks appeared on two dozen French TV shows. I think maybe I, I, I mentioned that they, 
they saw that they were getting some traction there. Then, then they, they stayed there. Uh, they had one uh, other uh, single, and that was Young Girls. But instead of getting right into that, I uh, just want to talk, go track by track by the album, unless you had something you wanted to bring up before that. No, let's do it. Cool. All right. When I'm with you. Mentioned that just now. Uh, I think it's a fantastic single. It's one of their very, very best. And it sounds ahead of its time to me. When I first started listening to Sparks and I came across that song, I thought it was something from the mid or late 80s, not from you know 1980 or recorded in 1979. And it's one of those things that makes me also wonder, by the way, what instruments, what synth instruments they were using on that particular album, because it sounds of a different generation from what they were doing with Number One in Heaven. So do you want to give the lyrics or? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hitting it. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, no, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. No, no I, sh- I should never have doubted you, my man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, great song. Uh, so <clears throat> with this particular album, uh, if you wanted to learn to play it in the comfort of your own home, you might have to do uh, some of the work yourself. But this song, being a major single, uh, you can find this on uh, 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 several um, websites where you can find out the chords or tabs. It's an F major. By the way, there's an interesting middle eight, which I want to talk about in the middle as well. Um, not just for what's being done musically, but for what's being done lyrically, which is kind of obvious. Uh Anyway, here we go. These are the lyrics. When I'm with you, I never have a problem when I'm with you. I'm really well adjusted when I'm with you, with you, with you, when I'm with you, when I'm with you. I lose a lot of sleep when I'm with you. I meet a lot of people when I'm with you, with you, with you, when I'm with you. It's the break in this. Did you want to say something? No, no, please. It's the break in the song when I should say something special, but the pressure is on and I can't make up nothing special. Not when I'm with you. When I'm with you, I never feel like garbage when I'm with you. I almost feel normal when I'm with you, when I'm with you, when I'm with you. I'm always hot and bothered when I'm with you. I always need a shower when I'm with you, with you, with you, when I'm with you. It's that break in the song when I should say something special, but the pressure is on and I can't make up nothing special. Not when I'm with you, when I'm with you, I never need a mirror when I'm with you. I don't care what I look like when I'm with you, with you, with you. And there's one when I'm with you several times, uh, breaking the song. We've been there. I never have a problem when I'm with you. I'm really well adjusted when I'm with you. I lose a lot of sleep when I'm with you. I meet a lot of people when I'm with you. I never feel like garbage when I'm with you. And I, and it, kind of repeats the uh, refrain from there.
Kevin, uh, anything you want to say about those lyrics? All right. Um, yeah, they're good. They're cute. You know, um, they're, they're cute. They're nice. And sparks don't always have to be deep. You know, I mean, a song like the Willies, I'm a big fan. I love the Willies. All right. The wacky women. That's not yeah. very deep. No. <laughs> you know, and I love, I love, I love when they just do something funny or undeep. And they also do very few straightforward love songs. Thank you. Yeah, and this is one of the ones that they do. I think the only one I can think of before that, and I'm sure there's others that I'm not thinking of, but is going all the way back to Slowboat on their very oh, wow. first album. Yeah, you know, and maybe there's a couple others in there, but you know, it's just not really what they do. And so it's enjoyable at that level. It's enjoyable for it's a nice song. Um, I appreciate your appreciation for it, and I'm glad that they had a hit single with it. I'm happy for them, but it to me that's it's probably one of the better songs on the album. But it's not mm-hmm. a song that just takes me to another place. I do like the fact that it is a an uncharacteristically sincere love song from from Ron. And like we said, you don't get a whole lot of those, but it seems, you know, heartfelt. It seems sincere, uh, which I appreciate a lot. Also, that middle eight, here's the break in the song, da 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 da. That was not originally in there. That was put in there because whatever Ron had in there and he presented to uh, Faltermeyer and Giorgio, they didn't like. And do you they mean asked the, the musical to... break, or do you mean the actual I mean part? The lyrics. The oh, lyrics. I actually like that part a lot. So do I. So do <laughs> I. I think that almost makes the song. I agree. I, I, compl- I love it entirely. You know, it's just that makes the personality of the narrator that, that Ron slash Russell is doing just, just so wonderful. The first time I heard that, I'm like, oh, I love this song. And I love when Ron does those types of lyrics where it just seems like he's like, okay, let's cut the bullshit. It's just you and me. Let's just talk. So I really, I I love the song. Uh, I I love the video. I really, really like what's going on. And this is me as a synth nerd, as a sort of techno synth nerd. Uh, And this is in general throughout the album. I don't know what instruments they're playing Uh, on the synths. I would love to know. This is not Giorgio's uh, Moog Modular, I can tell. The patches sound cool. It sounds great. It sounds like something from, to me, from a few years beyond 1980. Well, you know, Christian, um, because you are so diligent in your research, I went ahead and did some research on Get out of here. My research, though, was listening to a lot of Harold Faltermeyer songs. Uh Uh-huh. Which wasn't easy. It was not easy, but I did it. And <laughs> you know, why was it not easy? They just because you, you didn't know, like it, or they okay. don't move me, as the man, okay. as Keith Richards says, it, it didn't move me. Um, okay. <laughs> but you could see that these would fit right in with his general category of songs. There's, yeah. there's, you know, and so whatever, however he went about production, obviously is a little bit different than what Giorgio did. And yeah. whatever he used for those other songs, you can hear him using the same kind of uh, instrumentation on this album. Mm. So mm. I think we could track it down by just finding out more about him and what he liked to do in the studio. Because to me, it's not obvious either. Yeah. Well, hopefully he'll respond to my re- 
quest for an interview. We'll see. It's yeah. out there. But I got to tell you, just, you know, as a, a person of my age, you know, that um, I guess his biggest hit solo was the uh, theme to Beverly Hills Cop in 1984, <clears throat> which is just like an earworm that I feel like I was born with. It's like the Axel F theme. Indeed, that's like. the one it was. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. interesting. It's a solid song to start the album. It's a good start. Yeah. Well, I think it's the best possible start for <laughs> what, what they had. Um, <laughs> Agreed. So, uh, okay. So let's go through it. Uh, just uh, next song is just because you love me. I'll let you take it. Oh, no, take, take that back. I'll, I'll read the lyrics. Baby, baby, give it to me. Give it to me. You with me yet? <laughs> baby, baby, give it to me. Give it. Now is that all I get? Is that all I get just because you love me? Baby, baby, give it to me. Give it to me. Baby, baby, give it to me. Give it to me. I'm not that quick, but this is ridiculous. Just because you love me, it's common courtesy. Don't be a nurse to me. You save your worst for me. Just because you love me. Baby, baby, level with me. Level with me. What should I do when you say no just because you love me?
Should I just go on? No. Is that the whole should, lyrics? Should I just go on to the next song? I mean. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I was going to say that, you know, I never really thought much of the lyrics, but hearing you read it, There's I realized what about. an absolute masterpiece that song really is. Okay. Good. Beautiful right. reading, Christian. I can't beautiful. wait to, to hear the, your um, thesis on this. <laughs> I don't have a thesis uh, okay. on it. I, I don't right. have a thesis on it. To me, it's it's what it is. You know, it's, it's filler. It's, it's filler. It's. Uh, I'm sure it's, you know, this is one of those. Th- well, so this is one of the songs that, that uh, was accredited to only Ron and Russ, but I'm sure it's something that they had just had to throw together. At, at the, but, uh, the last you know, minute. it is one of those songs that when you're walking in the park, you find yourself thinking, just singing, just because you love me, and then realize, oh, wait, mm-hmm. I'm in a park here. I'm gonna uh, bring so it has that back. quality. A lot of these yes. songs have that quality. I, I don't have too much else to say about it, though, singing personally. Aloud and, for me, it's a cemetery. So, you, know, you never know. <laughs> That's harsh. Uh, uh, anyway, I guess not much to say about that, right? Uh well you know musically anything yeah it's just the same thing da, it's it's da, cute da, it's catchy it's poppy da, but it's, yeah. is it something that you're going to think of as the great one of the great spark songs or does it really no. even capture their personality and yeah it doesn't and yeah and unfortunately this is one of the ones that uh, doesn't do that at all all right well let's go ahead and move on for time's sake uh, we, then we have rock and roll people in a disco world which is an apt title uh, for where they were at this point in their career however I'm reading the lyrics and it's 90 percent rock and roll people in a disco world <laughs> uh, yeah to save time, I'm going to read the lyrics that aren't rock and roll people in a disco world. <laughs> they sing hard days, night they're as high as kites and they sing and play and carry on. Like they make LP records and make few and a few make comebacks mm-hmm. and the rest sell shoes to all the others. That's slightly funny. Yeah. Uh, we're rock and roll people in disco world. That's it.
always like this one. You know, yeah, go on. Uh, you know, it's it's again, it's it's in the same you know uh, context as all the others. For what it is, it's it's a catchy little song. I always liked it because uh-huh. it had a little guitar in it. Um, yeah. I would one thing I will note is you do hear some Keith Forsey drumming on this one, and you can just hear how it's so. You know, it's kind of like in the context of the song, and it's it's fine. It's not like on the prior album where you heard it and you're just blown away by what he brought to right. it. Here right. it's just playing a part, and it's fine, you know? But I always liked this one. I found the lyrics kind of funny, especially this part about selling shoes. Yeah, that was, that was a yeah. nice line. We've got a couple of good words in here. Uh, well, so that also makes you think – uh, I wanted I wanted to ask you, and as a drummer, because Keith Forsey's on this, he's on the last record. He's on the last record. Uh, how do you compare his performance here to what he was doing on the last record? Performance wise, I mean, he's, he's great at what he does. It's not a matter of performance; it's a matter of the part that he's given. And, you know, I remember reading somewhere that he was given very strict parts by Giorgio and told, on the first record and told, here's what you need to do. Here's the accents you need to put in. And he did it. And I think they, you know, that was where Ron and Russell really wanted that live drummer to help propel that album. On this one, I, you know, he's just, it could be anybody. I don't hear a lot of the personality that I heard in the first one, in the, in the prior one. Right. Yeah. It's not okay. bad. But it's it's just yeah you know, yeah I'm with you yeah it doesn't jump out at you at me right right indeed okay so of course they close outside a with an instrumental of when I'm with you which you know I listened to a couple of times over the last uh, couple of weeks or so and it's pretty interesting and there there are a couple little um uh little bobbles uh, there uh, being played on uh, different synth patches which I. Which which I like, but of course it's not necessary, right? It's I'm going to say it. It's filler. Yeah, it's filler. Yeah, yeah. You it know, totally I mean, is. If yeah. if he came in with twenty ideas and they took one and they had to come up with seven or eight more songs, what the hell could they then, not have put in one of you know Ron and Russell's disposed songs into that? I mean, come on, you get rid of all these songs. It's crazy. I know. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't really have. Not sure. I skip it. it. I, I, I yeah. listen and then I say, okay, I got. I'm going to move on. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. All right. So side B. I like side B a lot, actually. Um, uh, it starts with "Young Girls," which was their second and only other single, which we touched on for a moment. It's the, lyrically, of course, very creepy and uh, Lolita esque. Uh, but I, I like it as a song. Um, it's a, an interesting character that he's being bold enough to try to portray here. Uh, it's an F major. I worked this thing out. I I think the lyric lines are kind of interesting before they get to the chorus. A lot of them start, uh, with a minor seven, which has all the tension in the world that you, need to get to the tonic. That's a whole other nerdy thing. Uh, Here are those lyrics. 
I like their arms. I like their legs. I like their lips, their widening hips, their radios. They live at home. They don't have cars. I have a home. I have a car. They like that. They like that. Young girls haven't seen the whole night, and they will hold you, though it might not be tight, and they will kiss you, though it might not be right, because they're young girls. Young girls, I don't care what they say. I want to hug you each and every day. I feel you. I don't care what they say. Young girls, I like their talk. Small little words. I like their style. Less of the guile. They're straight with you. Don't analyze. Don't analyze. For some reason, I like that repetition. You've seen too much. I like the touch of young girls of young girls. Young girls haven't seen the whole night. And they will hold you, though it might not be tight. And they will kiss you, though it might not be right, because they're young girls. Young girls, I don't care what they say. I want to hug and have you each and every day. I feel you. I don't care what they say. Young girls, and it kind of goes on like that. Yeah.
So, so first thought, this is one I did not sing along to out loud in the park. Good move. <laughs> Good move. <laughs> did not do that. Um, you know, I remember when it came out and it was like a fun little song, but I can't get over where I am now and where things are now when I hear it, you know, and maybe that's just me. Maybe I, just, I just put myself back a little bit, but it's not the kind of song that you can just like play at a, well, a wedding or, or you know, like a, a school dance or something. Uh, I not if you want to stay. Not if you want to stay. Uh, <laughs> musically, I like the song. Uh, lyrically, I get what Ron, I believe, what Ron was, you know, trying to do. And he's playing a character and he's uh, hanging a lamp or shining a spotlight or something on, on guys who are actually like this. But it's still not like an easy song to like play for the general public. No, it isn't. And, uh, you know, one thing I try not to do in life is ascribe motives to people because usually things are much different than what you might think. I've learned that in life. And I don't know what his motives were for writing this. I don't, I just have true. I don't think anybody could possibly say this is what he was trying to shine a light on or this is, you know, he, he thought he was making a really satirical point or. Maybe it's how he really felt. I don't know. That's but true. We don't just, know. It just it just doesn't it doesn't hold up musically. Good song. Again, yeah. all these songs are good musically. <laughs> they all fit into a certain mold, and they're all good. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so too. I think so too. Well, I, um, I I just want to say this about the production of this album, and I I kind of hit on this before. It does sound a little before it's time. And even if you don't think it sounds before it's time, imagine you wouldn't hear anything with this kind of production three years before. And that's mostly from all the, the synth work that's, that's being done there. But it, uh, you can listen to, a, you know, a lot of albums from a lot of mainstream artists from a few years after that, that sounds somewhat similar. Interesting. That's all I got to say about that. No, it's interesting I mean, to hear because you you come more from the synth yeah. world, so it's interesting yeah. to hear your your thoughts on that. I, I, the production is top notch. I mean, there's that's mm -hmm. to me that's no question. The production's great, you know, um, but it was clearly he had a vision of how he wanted this album to sound, and that's how Georgia or Harold or Harold, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next song is Noisy Boy. I, I, I don't think Giorgio gave a damn at this point, to be completely honest with you. No, I think you're right about that. I think yeah. you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the next song is uh, Noisy Boys, uh, which I think is a really fun rave up. I really like this song, actually. Um, I'll read the lyrics. Whispering breeze and the sound of the rain on the awning. Candlelight music, the sound of the leaves in the air. All of that makes me feel nervous. I know it's part of your life, but once in a while, I just got to be wild. You know, it ain't nothing personal, babe, but noisy boys are happy boys. Let it out. Let it out. Get it crashing. Noisy boys are happy boys. Let it out. Let it out. Get smashing. Noisy boys are happy boys. Let it out. Let it out. Keep on crashing. Noisy boys are happy boys. Let it out. Let it out. Let it out all the way. Hush, little mama, your daddy has got to be moving. Hush, little mama, your daddy is going away. 
once in a while I get edgy. You've seen it happen before. Once in a while I just got to be riled. You know, it ain't nothing personal, babe. But noisy boys are happy boys. Let it out. Let it out. Get it crashing. I said that before. It's just a repetition. I let it out. Let it out all the way. Anyway.
those those are the the lyrics for Noisy Boys. Do you have any thoughts about that song? It's it's um not one of the ones that is. It's not one of my favorites. I know you like yeah, it. I do. To me, it's I've never understood what this song is really about. You know, who are these noisy boys? The lyrics are better than some of the other songs for sure. Um, I guess. You know, I, I guess you know if I were Paul Barrett or someone, I might say this is their their foreshadowing when they become noisy boys again. Uh, they take the guitars back, right? Getting, getting meta, getting meta there. Getting meta. Know. There you go. You know, um, um, to me, it's just a nice little song and doesn't particularly work for me. Ready to move on. Personally, it sounds fun. I, I love sounding, uh, hearing it. Uh, the first thing that I thought of when I heard the lyrics was a Clockwork Orange. And I'm sure I'm thinking way too deeply. Uh, interesting. But I kept thinking about those noisy boys crashing and smashing and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, it's just like Alex DeLarge and his droogs or you know, whatever. Yeah. And I, I, I doubt that that was – anyway. No, my, that's a great thought. But my own, I, yeah, that's my a, own that's mind. A very interesting thought. You know, there, there's probably yeah. not a whole lot there. You know, let the boys be boys. You know, hedonism, blowing off steam, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, but it's a song that I, 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 I enjoy when I come back to it. I'll, I'll just say that it's uh, you know one guilty pleasure, a registered trademark. Yeah, and then uh, okay, so next on next song is uh, stereo, and stereo was also uh, co-written uh, by the others, uh, Giorgio and uh, Faltermeyer, I believe, and I think even Keith Forsey. Make your choice, and that is that. Live with her and don't look back. Easy, simple, tidy, ultra clean. Not with me, I don't know why. To the left and to the right, good things come from more than just one side. In stereo, 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 stereo. In a sandwich, in a vice, stuck with too much paradise. It's okay with me, it's not too bad. Each of you has other scenes. Smart professors, clean marines, you too live. Your life in stereo and stereo and stereo and stereo. And that's it.
So I'll jump in. Yeah, I, I think this is one of the songs that's held. This is my personal view. I think this song for me has held up over time. You think? I, I think the lyrics uh, are telling a story. I think the music is in sync with the lyrics, especially with that nice little stereo break. You know, left, right, in stereo. That's that fun. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, but they seem to have something that they do want to convey here about you know uh, duality and, uh, and all those things. So for me, this is one of the, I guess, two or three songs on this that has held up over time. I think it's a pretty good song. I don't mean to pin you down, but what what kind of duality are you? Are, do you, do you Just mean? the idea of uh, smart professors, clean Marines, the idea of people living a dual life, um, you know, and I think there's a sexual overtone to it. You know, you I don't know what people do behind closed doors. I think those are, that's, that's interesting. And, and it's interesting. What are they thinking about when they think about, living a dual life and maybe it i don't want to get meta again but maybe it has to do with being rock and roll people in a disco world um you know but i i think they're saying something they're making a social observation on this one which to me takes it just slightly slightly to a higher level than some of the other stuff on here so i'll give it a thumbs up i read polyamory into this <laughs> you let it, i'm sorry i said i read polyamory into this uh i Reading the lyrics, I thought he was talking about uh, whoever the narrator is, you know, the protagonist having two lovers. But, oh, yeah, maybe he's just yeah. like justifying his own. Yep, his own I mean, double life. Yeah, right. right. That's, that I mean, could be. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, there's not a lot to go by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, the greatest show on earth, the closer, which I like. I do too. Steady as it goes. I'm going to read this. Steady as it goes. She's the greatest show. Repeat, repeat. Step right up and see her walking down the street. She's something. Watch her check you out and see if you're complete. She's something. She tap her foot to nothing but your heavy breathing. She's the greatest show on earth and I ain't ever leaving because she's the greatest show on earth tonight and every night. And she's worth it even when you got to pay a heavy price. Because she's the greatest show on earth tonight and every night, and she's worth it even when you got to push and shove and fight. And then you've got the chorus, because she's the greatest show on earth tonight and every night. And that's kind of a rep repetition. Uh, you could bring together everyone for one big show, the Four Tops, Mop Tops, Boston Pops, and Art Laveau. Good line. A that's rare a great line. good line in this great album. line. That's oh, one of my all-time favorites. Goodness. Like, I, I'm so glad he snuck that in. Half a million people pushing and the crowd says go, but I'd be up in my apartment with, with the greatest show because she's the greatest show on earth tonight and every night. And she's worth it even when you got to pay a heavy price because she's the greatest show on earth tonight and every night. And she's worth it even when you got to push and shove and fight. And it pretty much just goes on like that. Yeah.
your thought. Good little song. I think so too. Yeah, I've always enjoyed it. And I, and I agree with you completely about that line. Four tops, box tops, Boston oh. tops, and all the What a uh, fun. Such a God, great I, line. It is. It really It's like, It's almost like an Easter egg. It's like, hey, hey, you know, you, you know when Ron writes great stuff? Here you go. Here's this just for you. Yeah. yeah that was that was really nice. Yeah, that song is one I've always enjoyed too. I will say that it probably it, it, it it's idiosyncratic to the album in that it probably hasn't held up in my mind as well as some of the others, uh, mm-hmm. like, like stereo. But it's one I've always enjoyed, and why not? It's a good little song. What do you think it means? Do you think? It- I don't think it means much. Just cornered you right there, didn't I? <laughs> I don't think it means much to you. Uh, I took some notes. I'm like, yeah, who knows? I got desperate. And I'm like, oh, is it a, a, a real heavy price? Is it a, a is she a prostitute? Oh, who knows? Yeah, right. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. I don't I, know. I don't think there's that much to it. I think it's a nah. guy who likes his girl. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun. It's a great song to listen to. And I think that. Um, it's kind of how I feel about this album as a whole. And I, I, I told you this in a message earlier today. Like I don't mind this as an album to listen to. I don't really like to pay attention to it, <laughs> but I don't mind listening to it. I like the beat. Um, I like what's going on musically. I really like what's going on with the synths. I've told you that. Um, there's some great stuff, uh, guitar wise, even though it's understated and there, and there are a lot of, um, just straight up, just like, um, power chords, you know, coming from, uh, W Snuffy Walden, but it works. It's a nice aesthetic. I enjoyed the aesthetic. It's a shame the songs just weren't better. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, when I listen to, or when probably anybody listens to Kimono or Number One in Heaven or, um, you know, so many of the others, you just, it sticks with you and you think about it and you find yourself being absorbed into it. And this one, it's like, oh, that was fun. Yeah. And and then you're ready to go on with your day. In one ear at the other, like one of those reviewers said. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's not fun and it's well made, but, you know. Like that well, in I think, one year? Yeah. You know, if we're going to give them any credit, <laughs> just goes to show that, you know, you, you put great minds together, even if they couldn't give half a shit as to what they're doing while they're doing it, at least they can produce something that can be, you know, a little bit of fun and listenable and, you know, and, and, and give us the, the first single, which I still love. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good, and if I recall, when they were doing the uh, Twenty One Nights gig in uh, Islington, um, this was a great. From all the reviews, uh, this was a great, great show. Yeah, and, and because they really rocked it up, and they played it loud, and they played it hard, and I think they took it and they played it the way they probably would have liked it to have been a little cool. bit more. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of introducing in the world either, but. Same thing. I the I, I remember reading all the reviews at the time and people just saying this was really a terrific night because they just brought so much to the songs. And that's what they said about this one too. So nice. I think when they had a chance to kind of put their own veneer on it, uh they probably turned it into a much better 
unfortunately they didn't record it as far as I know, or at least there isn't any official hmm. recording of all this. It would be great to hear it, uh, you know, better quality than what you hear on YouTube. But, um, you know, the, the structures are there, the songs are there. It just, it just, at the end, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So it was of course not released in the U S until 1998 is what I read. So even though it was recorded in the U.S. and they're from the U.S., no, was not released until 1998. And then um, there was a re-release in 2009 in Japan, and there were a few uh, bonus tracks on there, which I don't have in front of me right now. But I was excited for a moment because I was like, oh, we've got bonus tracks to talk about. But no, as it turns out that those bonus tracks – uh, we're, we're not actually of that time period. Uh, a couple of those were from those 1978 Arista demos and one or two were all were from the, um, uh, the, uh, gratuitous, uh, Saxon senseless, uh, violins era. So, oh, well, I remember one was the farmer's daughter. Yes. Um, I don't remember the other two, but there were three, if I recall. Yep. No, you're right about that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, um, so this is great. Um, we didn't get into when Sparks came back from France and met uh, the uh, Bates Motel folks, including uh, David Kendrick. And I do want to save that for next time because that folds in so neatly into Womp That Sucker. But I also uh, want to bring up uh, the stuff that they did, uh, that they produced and wrote to varying uh, degrees over that time period, which would include their work with Telex and the French teenage Chantus Leo. But uh, we'll get to that next time. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I've listened to both of those albums. The Telex album, I enjoy. There's a, one song on there. I, I can't remember the name, but about, I think about Sherlock Holmes or Sherlock Holmes. Really? No, Sigmund Freud. Sigmund oh yeah. Freud. That's the one. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's a, if I recall, that's a, that's a fun, clever song. And the, I like that album. Yeah. And, Listen to yeah. exercise is good for you or something like well, that. Yeah. That's a fun yeah, one. That's, too. that's yeah. the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we yes. go. Anyway, well, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, I'm going to let you go. Uh, Monty, this has been a fantastic discussion. Can't wait to get this uh, onto the episode and can't wait to talk to you very soon about Womp and all the stuff that, you know, led up to it. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Definitely looking forward to it. This was a lot of fun. Definitely, man. Good to talk to you. All right. Talk to you soon. Yep.